Greetings program. Hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie by minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is Minute 69. I'm your host Duncan Shields and returning with me today is my well-rounded, witty, and driven guest co-host Paul Sullivan. Welcome, Paul. Hey, how are you? I'm the host of Locked On MLB podcast where we cover all of Major League Baseball. I'm also the host of the Bull Durham Minute podcast, which is another movie by minutes. And... Um, TV producer, writer, actor, comedian, and lover of Tron. Excellent. So in in minute 69 here, Tron receives his fully loaded disc of information, and he leaves with Yori out of a side entrance just before Sark breaks down the force field and approaches a smug Dumont. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a a pretty good scene. Oh, yeah. So let's say the yeah. So it opens with the blueprint breakdown of Tron's mission finishing. Alan one says the interface is located here. Yeah, it's located and, in a small thermal exhaust port right below the main port at the end of the at, at the end of the trench in the Death Star. Uh, There's one flaw in the MCP. You have to punch him in the neck. That's <laughs> that's where you get him. Uh, it's little... actually it's just Control Alt Delete. Just hit that. Just control and, uh, Alt Delete. That's right. Drag the MCP over to the garbage can, and that will take care of uh, the whole thing. I like, I like, I like what you were saying earlier, though. This expositional animated diagram is very obvious and not really in keeping with the subtlety of the rest of the film, but it also is really helpful in terms of like this is what Tron needs to do now. Yeah, well, that's where we're. It's on. interesting you mentioned yesterday. Uh, or in the previous minute, that yeah. uh, this was kind of a last-minute thing to sort of clarify some parts of the plot. Yeah, in the like in the in the creator's commentary, one of the one of the effects guys was like, "Oh, I don't, I don't remember this scene." And Steven Lisberger is like, "Oh yeah, no, this is something that we added. Uh, this is something that we added pretty late in the day." So it's even even the creators talking on the Blu-ray a few years later we're like whoa what's what's it like it was that late of a change so and i guess because it was that late of a change the only thing they could realistically do was that kind of primitive line computer animation yeah, yeah. really basic uh uh orthographic kind of stuff without a lot of well let, we'll let it slide there's so much there's so <laughs> we'll much let them slide. there's so much visual beauty in this film that well, all right, fine. We needed the, the they they test screened it in Long Beach, and they need to have something else. So all right, fine, fine. We'll yeah. throw this in here. It's not like they could just you... get everything. They can't just do a reshoot on the set the next day. So yeah, and I guess I guess this is the beginning of the third act. I'm not quite sure if my act breaks when it comes to movies, but this seems like it's the beginning of. Okay, and we're off. This is chapter three. Yeah, which might be. And this is when the the Wendy Carlos and we mentioned we we praised Wendy Carlos yeah. in the previous yeah. minute, where the all music is Carlos. just the like let's fire it on all cylinders. This is a this yeah. is a spiritual sequence, uh, and of which the 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 cue is actually called "Let Us Pray," and yeah. the 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 disc like the tablet from Mount Sinai just sort of floats down to him so beautifully, yeah, and the last word that his deity says to him is go go but he also says we will not be able to communicate again unless you succeed go which is a little a little on the nose pretty, uh, 
Yeah, it's a well, it's intense. It's like, why will you not be able to communicate again? I'm kind of like, whoa, this is a real. This message will self destruct in five seconds. You know, this is. Yeah, know, but I like Go. I like Go a food. lot. Oh, Go is great. Yeah. Especially go. when you consider what is a thing that people say, like at the end of a religious service or something, is Go with yeah. God. Yeah, that's true. And it's again, a little maybe inadvertently profound, but it's kind of like, ooh, imagine if the last thing you you get confirmation your deity is real, and the, he gives you instructions, and the last word he says to you is go, like yeah, yeah I'm out. Yeah. Okay, I'm on it. Let's do it. Now I have to say, I I, I love this sequence. There's a thing that the the I don't know if they've coined this, but I've I've attributed it to. Um, jerry tom and pete from indiana jones minute which okay. is uh johnny says what he sees um it's usually when a character says something like that car is coming down the street like you know johnny yeah says yeah yeah and it's something that's a little too on the nose uh, uh this isn't quite a johnny says what he sees but it's a it's a little this is one of the lines that makes me kind of squirm a little bit is this is the key to a new order this code yeah. disc means freedom yeah I, I so wish that line wasn't in there. Even think, as a yeah. kid, I just, we got it. There's, if he's holding it and it's silent, it would have been this really wonderful moment. As a well, moment. yeah, because the, the expression on his face, Bruce Boxleitner is doing such a good job of like, right. you know, wow, like it's here. It's in my hands. We are going to go do something. It's all there. You don't need the actual the actual words. And also, it's not like he's saying anything that is information to the audience that makes any sense. It's very vague. This is the key to a new order. This code disk means freedom. I'm like, well, it okay. means you're shutting down a program. What like what it oh, how I guess, okay. Like I don't understand how that, you know, I know where the disk has to go now because of the picture, but there's a there's some language in this part of the film that doesn't make um any doesn't bring clarity to what's going on for anybody that's lost and this is one of those lines where i'm like okay well a lot of things mean freedom yeah if you want them to i guess and the key to a new order i okay i i, I thought you were just trying to okay you know yeah so. I, it's too it's we've already established in the previous scene uh that when when tron is talking to dumont that he was saying that you know users will line up to to or uh, programs will use will be lining up to use this tower to speak to their users. So we've already established that there's that this would be a change of things. So th there's yeah. no new information added with it. It's just a corny line to try to make it seem more dramatic. And it already was dramatic. It would be a lot more dramatic if they didn't have this damn line i almost said a yeah. word that would have gotten us a an explicit rating which you don't want to have on anything involving disney so yeah yeah it's very much so very much so yeah and i think it's just one of those lines that they put in there to like okay there's this this beat one thing is uh there's another fully hand animated shot here and it was in the previous minute too when the disc is actually going up the chute out the portal to the to the io tower and turning it blue um all those like uh, leaves that the, those leaves that open up and that sort of sphincter that opens up and then the the, the distills through it. That's all. That's all hand animated. That's not a that's not a CG thing. 
and it looks so nice it looks so beautiful it's this flowers and these pinstripes and all this kind of stuff I just the, to the, that the that way the shapes and the different lines that sometimes yeah. they're round sometimes they're angular sometimes they're curving sometimes they curve in they use the use of fractals on the sort of yeah. the enterprise transporter that he's standing on yeah all these things just sometimes subvert what you're used to seeing visually in a film and just yeah. puts you in a new place emotionally and just the experience the cinematic experience which to me makes this such a uh I just it's it's such a unique experience just in even rewatching it i hadn't i hadn't seen it from beginning to end for probably since the 90s i saw it i okay. watched it again when i was uh uh i'll get into this a little bit later but when i watched it in college uh mm -hmm. but uh it's the first time i'd seen it from beginning to end since probably 94 95 and right. um and just, you know, uh, still being visually startling. So, so startling. All these years later, it's still visually startling. Like doing the research for this minute, I've been watching the Blu-ray over and over again, and I'll just get lost in it. I'm just like, wow, you know, gee. Just colors so and shapes and lines. It's just such, it's like pure, it's the way that I had mentioned in the previous minute that it boiled religion down to its like in a Bunsen burner this boiled down the ex, the visual experience of watching light and colors and movement yeah. down to its essence which yeah. makes it such a profound experience I'm sure you've talked about this but the, you know I'd mentioned I hadn't seen it in the theater when it came out I had to wait for I waited for it was on video temperature why didn't I and I, I started thinking about that I, 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 I guarantee you probably already talked about it, but 1982 just the volume between E.T. and Poltergeist and Rathacon and Blade Runner and yep. uh, what was it, I mean uh, Conan, Conan was in there. Conan, Conan the Barbarian, the Dark yeah. Crystal was that year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember we saw Firefox in the theater that year. That's right. Um, and this doesn't even count things like Tootsie or you know the re-release uh, of Raiders. The Secret of Nim came in there. Secret of Nim, you know, like like all these different things. And it's not, it's uh, yeah, it's not just that they came out in the same year. It was that like uh, Conan, what on top of each it, other. I think the Road Warrior, yeah, Star uh, Star Trek Two, uh, Poltergeist, Tron, The Thing. They all came out. They came out within six weeks of each other. They came out like like between June and August the sixth or something. Just like bang, 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 bang. So Star Trek Two came out in June fourth. E.T. Yep. came out June 11th. Blade yep. Runner and The Thing came out June 25th. Tron mm -hmm. came out July 9th. Gee whiz. I yeah, wonder right? why. And that does And again, and Rocky Three, which yeah. was must. I mean, there were, there were things that weren't sci-fi that you went out to see. I mean, there was like, I mean, this was uh, it, it, some things, I guess, Tron just kind of slipped through the cracks. Because yeah. we were also we were moving back from our my family was moving back from overseas, so yeah. there were some things that we hadn't seen from the previous year that we had to catch up on. And oh yeah, yeah go to school and for me watch hours and hours of baseball. So yeah. and and watch TV. I mean, there's there's only so much bandwidth that we could have. Yeah. Well, and also just people's choices. Like I think a lot of people unfairly malign the reception of blade runner and tron and the thing because they say oh people didn't get it oh uh people saw it and they didn't like it uh you know uh, and i'm like well 
but they were also really spoiled for choice. They were lost in a whirlwind of incredible films, and they just these just kind of slipped aside. I don't think they were given the thumbs down. I think they were given the we don't have time. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're getting a fire hose of incredible films here, and we didn't get around to seeing these ones. You know, so I think maybe, yeah. That certainly uh, happened for Tron with me. I didn't see it till 84. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, but when I did, it instantly became one of my favorite movies. Yeah, and it's like you were saying with the colors and everything before, this could have been... <sighs> Like a lot of the advertising animation studio that Steven Lisberger had did a lot of commercials in the 70s and 80s. And so that whole candy apple neon look was something that he had done for uh, a radio station identity like advertisement spot. And it had a a strong neon warrior and he throws this disc and it was for like, you know, K-Shock in like Pittsburgh or something like that. And that's what came into here so there was this very 60s 70s feel that kind of got rolled up into the look of this movie so when you think of the 80s you think of shoulder pads you think of chrome you think of zebra skin rugs you think of austere straight lines harsh uh harsh contours and harsh angles but you also feel the the pastels there was a real pastel thing going on and there was a real you know, all these uh, these washes and stuff. So that all gets rolled up into this movie too. And it's an amazing time for it to have happened because like, it's not, it's not like a museum. It doesn't come across like a place that you wouldn't want to go. It's not cold. It's not, uh, it's, it's a very warm place and there's a lot of 45 degree angles and there's a lot of curves and there's a lot of really interesting work here just conceptually that could have been just a bunch of boxes it could have been just a bunch of straight lines they could have talked to each other in like robotic voices and uh and they didn't and it's just so good that they didn't but there's a real easy universe i can imagine where this would have been just very computery for lack of a better term and it would have been way less amazing of a film and also the decision to film it in 65 millimeters was really like a, a an amazing thing for them to do for inside. Yeah, yeah. The uh, um, the I remember. I wanted. I do want to bring this up because it does. Yeah. It does. When you know, he he has a scene. He runs out to see Dumont. He has a nice hug mm-hmm. from Yori, and yeah. uh, and then they run out the back door. I guess that the guards were covering the back door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. And it's like, what, where did that come from? That, There's a fire exit or handy. something here. Like I yeah. just go run down this hallway. I mean, look at, I mean, it, I'm, I, we're nitpicking when we have there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They need to leave somehow. Right. Like, yeah. They get out somehow. And, um, Dumont has the sort of the users are waiting, which of course has a, has, uh, uh sort of some added weight, um and and then the i guess the, I mean, we don't see really the the door come down we see it starting no. to vaporize it's a strange beat yeah yeah there's a, there's like it's like a missing beat they they run out the little uh uh the xanadu side the <laughs> xanadu yeah the little igloo entrance there i'm alive and they zoom <laughs> off <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not doing Xanadu minute. But um, the, uh, suddenly all the red guards are there and Sark. <clears throat> and then you just see briefly, sort of comically, almost Keystone Cops-like. Yeah. Him pokes his head out. Now, I want to contrast that. We have, in this minute, we have two users. One is the voice of God, literally a disembodied voice in the middle of a stream of light. Yeah. A, uh, a, a, a worshiper in, in a sense of euphoria. And on the other hand, you have kind of a sort of a Max Senate sort of Scooby-Doo sneaking around. There's your other yeah. And he does it like in a way that's it's it's kind of a callback to in the original when they're in the guts of Encom and they're sneaking around looking for a terminal. He goes through some of the old uh, computers there in a sneaky, sneaky, you know, stance that that kind of comical walk, that kind of exaggerated sneak walk. And that's something that he does here, too. It's a strange it's a strange beat. This leaning out. It, it, it does a strange beat, but I don't I don't want to lose it right now because yeah. I don't want because there is a contrast there again, whether yeah. it's intentional or not i don't care because yeah. i'm making this connection because yeah. another thing as i were mentioning in the previous minute we're boiling down belief in a bunsen burner what is belief what is religion well the yeah. film also takes a very daring and i've never seen another film take this stance about what religion is is what uh -huh. if the gods are just like us well that's the thing what if the gods are just the the one god we really get to know is a computer programmer who is living in the upstairs of an arcade and is kind of yeah. a goof that's god yeah and there's a line later in the film just jumping ahead a little bit of when tron realizes that flynn is a user he says well if you're a user then this must be all part of a big plan and Flynn's like, no, we're, we're making it up just like you do. And it's because yeah. Tron is a Gnostic theist now. He has confirmation, and he's put all of his faith, belief, and trust in the, the profound uh, uh, wisdom of yeah. the users. And here's a real user. No, nope, we're just making it up. We don't know what we're doing. Which also makes it really hard to believe that he's a user it's like well you're a user then you have all the answers it's like no we're just you know we're winging it and he's like oh well then you can't be a user but then because, but that you know. sort of that starts to chip away at least if yeah. you're if you're watching it not from tron because tron's now a fanatic yeah, yeah. But if you're looking but wait what is the what are the gods really are they these profound things or are they just like us are they shoving popcorn in their mouth which is why you couldn't have the shot of of Alan in his cubicle, you know, pounding <laughs> popcorn. Just eating a handful of popcorn. But in that same minute, or the user could be just sneaking around like Shaggy and Scooby. Yeah, it's a yeah that that uh, that uh, juxtaposition that, that in the same scene is a really interesting one. And so he sneaks off, and you have the great David Warner. And this is this is great when you have two actors who are both very fine actors, Barnard Hughes. And David yeah. Warner, yeah, in the most ridiculous costumes a human being could possibly wear, yeah, treating it, acting and treating it with with gravity. And of course, the their line exchanges in the next minute where he says, "Where's the program?" And he goes, "What program?" Like you know, it's, yeah. it's such a great little middle finger to Sark. What are you talking about? Yeah, there was a few beats that were uh, that were changed here. They think I think that them running away out the exit was added 
because it was supposed to be that they talked to Dumont and they're like, and yeah, and then like, yeah, Yori's like, I think they're breaking in. It's like, yeah, they're, they're breaking in. Yeah. But that's the Johnny Sister disease. So. Yeah. The door, the door, uh, the door comes down and they're just gone. Right. So they like, uh, like Sark walks up to Dumont and, uh, Tron and Yori are just gone. And I think they were supposed to have escaped off screen or something like that, but that was confusing. So they added the, the shot of them running down actually out a door, but it's kind of like, well, if that door, where was that door when they were sneaking in? Like, I don't know. It raises questions. If there's an emergency exit there, that why aren't the guards covering it? Like you said, but you know, it's a, it's kind of, yeah, it's interesting. But then the two of them facing off, especially like when, uh, when David Warner says, Dumont, like, <laughs> you know, I've, even I sit up straighter in my chair, like, Oh geez, you know, I'm, uh, I'm in trouble now. Like he's got such a good, voice for that kind of buddy i've been looking for an excuse for a long time now and thank you for giving it to me we're gonna have ourselves a little conversation here it's uh it's he really knows how to crack the whip in that in that way just with his tone of voice yeah absolutely and this is when you have two actors it's funny one of the actors uh who was considered or was at least offered to play the part of sark was peter o'toole yeah but he wanted to play the hero he wanted to play he wanted to play tron and and this was the same. This film came out the same year as my favorite year, which was one of O'Toole's last great performances. So, oh, it's a wonderful movie. Wonderful movie. And he's he's magnificent in that movie. I mean, he's yeah, and splendid. So, I, if I were, uh, I'm. It's one of these things where we're fortunate that Tron didn't work out because it probably would have prevented him from doing my favorite <laughs> year. So, it's, yeah. everything worked out fine, and we got this you know, wonderful David yeah. Warner villain in the film so yeah i can't imagine it without him uh this movie without david warner would be i think half the movie that it turned out to be he gives the the villains such gravitas and such i don't know just just clear honest bad guy he doesn't like playing bad guys they saw him in an interview somewhat uh recently and he um he doesn't like being he doesn't like playing being typecast as a bad guy because he's got he's so good at it he's, he's so... just so he's just so good at it though it's it's one of those things you're like dude i feel you i feel you but you're really good at it, you know. I heard once that Vincent Price was like, I he, he was not thrilled of doing as many, you know, horror, you know, films. Yeah. Think, but yeah, but Vincent, you're Vincent freaking Price, man. You're Vincent <laughs> Price, man. You know, like you can't not, like you can't deny the world this beauty that you actually possess, because Lord, because apparently, yeah, Vincent Price was a very silly person. He was a very silly guy, and uh, so, but he just had that face and that voice. But you yeah, know. but his face—he could look so sinister, and yeah. then, but and, but bring the sort of the dark humor to yeah. being sinister. And I think David Warner brings uh, in Time Bandits is oh, he's hilarious in Time Bandits. Yeah, he has he's laugh out loud funny and yeah. yet truly terrifying when yeah, he, he when really he has is. to be when he when he has to turn on the terror. Uh, but when he when his comic timing in that film is also impeccable, and he yeah. brings humor to this part as well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, but he brings you know gravitas. I, I want to. I know we're at the end of this minute. We're wrapping up these. Well, we talked. To, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about the disc itself. When he when he in, a, in an earlier scene when he's holding the disc out. Yeah. 
he's uh when the creators commentary they talk about how that they call the mandala on the circle uh the, the 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 concentric circles on the face of the disc and they 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 pulse in a concentric pattern as he's holding up the disc and we get that great close up the close up of it mm-hmm. he said that they only they only picked a a circle and called it a disc because they were going for uh, like I suppose the circle is supposed to be reminiscent of the full journey, like the realization of the self, the completion of the circle and all that represents. But they just ended up being super lucky that discs became like a very prominent part of computer computers throughout the decades later on, like optical discs, magnetic discs, whatever. The disc is something that we're all familiar with. Right. But they just chose like, hey, we need how about a circle? And so that's what they chose and went with. But now there's this awesome, happy, high concept accident that the two ended up overlapping. Like they sort of called it way before it happened, you know, because now we're still talking about hard disks and and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So that was just kind of a neat, a neat, a neat idea. No, that's cool. That's cool. Um, I wanted to bring this up in 1993 when, yeah. believe me there was no love for this movie in 1993. This was considered right. a silly, dumb movie. And I was taking a, uh, a film theory class at New York University at the time. Okay. We had, to write, uh, we had to write an analytical paper. I don't remember exactly what the assignment was. It was basically write a film about, uh, write a paper about a film and it had to, to hit certain boxes of, you know, spiritual political what this you know what allegorical uh uh a commentary on times and everything like that and everyone yeah. was picking the same thing they were picking the sure. drum the bicycle thieves you know yeah. there's everyone's picking the same gd films and i picked tron yeah and i i wrote about tron and when i told people i'm writing about tron they said, no that's really funny great <laughs> like, what are you what? really writing? no what are you really writing about no i'm yeah. writing about tron and the and I wound up getting an A on the paper. The, the, the professor, well, no doubt. The professor told me one of the reasons why I got an A on the paper was the fact that I didn't just pick from the same well. Yeah. You know, like He's anybody not, yeah. could write a yeah. paper on La Dolce Vita. Anybody yeah. could yeah, write yeah. a paper on Apocalypse Now. I picked F and Tron, which at the time yeah. was in the, the, when you went to the video store, that was in the bin. Yeah, yeah. You know, for five bucks. Yeah. And so I talked a little bit about what we discussed earlier about religion, about this is a film about getting confirmation of your God, but the God may not be what you think it is, that our relationship to God is God is a hacker. God is a computer programmer. And what if the gods don't have the same plan? But the other thing that I talked about is I said, this is a movie about communism versus capitalism. Oh, interesting. And that the Red Guards are all red, oh, they're all yeah. communists, they suppress religion, and they're saying everything is being brought to the common good, which is the MCP, and we're going to swallow everything up, and it's going to be part of this giant central system. Yeah, everybody everybody, everybody gets the equal amount of power, but everybody gets less power. That's right. Yeah. Meanwhile, the I talked about the, you know, the blue... Uh, you know, when you turn blue, suddenly you turn capitalist. They said that, okay. that Tron's mission and Flynn's mission was not to heal the sick, was not to, you know, to break 
people out of prison who were unjustly uh, accused. It was to get credit for a lot of money. Yeah. That the happy ending was they get rich. You stole my idea. You got rich on my idea. That was me. And so the whole, the whole mission is so Flynn gets credit. So yeah. he can make, so at the end, he's a billionaire at the end. He's, spoiler alert, he's the, the boss. And the happy yeah. ending is, and Flynn gets rich. Yeah. Flynn's a success. So yeah. it is about the suppression of religion in communism and the usurping of power into a central system, yeah, which yeah. eventually would become too great and would fold upon each other. And the need to have, this is almost a libertarian film. <laughs> it is, yeah. In that it's about, you know, it, it is about free market and free enterprise. It's not about being a better person. Mm-hmm. It's not about uh, reversing injustice to the oppressed. It's about, yeah. I did that, I want the credit, and I want the money. It's kind of, yeah, it is. It's that, and it's a couple of... It's also bringing justice, but it's in a yeah, in a very in a very sort of like the way you're that you're describing. That he's just trying to get his plans, but it's also kind of a little morally dubious because he made those plans. He created those games on company time while the company wasn't looking. So it's kind of like it was the company's property, right? You know, he was kind of doing you know either way. But yeah, you're right. That's the the, the goal battle of the film, is. Yeah. And think about when it came out. It came out yeah. just during Reagan's first term, uh, yeah. the middle of the Cold War, when things were starting to – it looked like it was post-Vietnam, but things were starting to get unstable, especially with Russia and Afghanistan. Yeah. And so let's battle this out. This is communism versus capitalism. And Well, there's a couple interesting things. One is that the bad guys were originally blue and the good guys were originally yellow. And they changed that for the uh, for the film. Um, but the other thing was that one of the reasons why this film was done by Disney was because the Lisberger team put out a short film called Animal Olympics, which they were going to show during the Olympics, uh, like interstitials between the events, and then they would the money they made off of that they would use to finance and independently produce their new animated film Tron. But like you said, at the height of the Cold War. That year, I think 1981, the Olympics were in Moscow. And so the the United States boycotted the Olympics. Right, right, right. The United States, they didn't even go. And so suddenly he had no platform. They weren't showing, you know, that they weren't rooting for the Olympic teams. Everybody was like pointedly not watching the Olympics because they were in, you know, big bad Russia or whatever. And so suddenly he's like, he's got like this this stillborn creative project that he doesn't he can't get funding out of anymore so he's like oh geez now i gotta get funding from the outside gosh and so they shopped it around and disney was like 30th on their list they were like well disney will never say yes to this but there was a changeover happening at disney because they were struggling and these new creative heads were in and they said yeah sure and they're like what disney said yes and then so then but that's how that's all this came about. So that that Cold War thing was probably either overtly or just subconsciously definitely involved in uh, in the film. Well, I like, your, I like a good take on it. Yeah, whether it was <coughs> excuse me, whether it was subconscious or not, it was certainly a way to watch the film, especially as I was doing it, looking at it 
from the perspective of the post Berlin Wall coming down. For sure. The ideas of yeah, the, the it it's there were many films that came out in the eighties where the victory was we're rich as opposed to we did the right thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The very next year, I mean trading places, it was yeah. the you know, the Dukes are going to manipulate the market. Why don't we manipulate yeah. the market? I mean, that's, it's yeah. not, why don't we use this money to save, uh, save little kids or, or feed them? No, we're going to get this and then we're going to go be rich in the Bahamas. And so, yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah, that's very true. Like this is a, a, a war of a totalitarian, totalitarian regime against independence, but it also has that like, and now Flynn's rich. Yay, the end, he won. <laughs> and, and that with uh, with trading places and too. It's a very, very good point about a lot of those 80s films. Very, it's a very, and and I I rewatched it. I, I wish I still had that paper. I know, I mean, that paper has probably long since become mulch. Uh, and uh, ironically, the disc that it was saved on probably doesn't exist either. Yeah. But I remember getting an A on it. The professor, probably, he said, I wasn't sure what you were doing if you were taking it seriously. But he said the fact that you did this and took it seriously. Um, well, that's what I like about doing this movie by minute uh, process on it is because the levels are there. Like you weren't you didn't just make something up that wasn't there. It's there. Right. There's there's so much depth and subtlety and layers in this film. And it's, I think, quite often remembered as just a, a curiosity, just like a, a, a weird 80s curiosity. But I also I also think that I don't care if it's intentional or not. I don't care if the director sure. knows it or not. Well, if I yeah, see well, it, but... it's like if you go see like an abstract painting, you're sure. going to bring your baggage to that. Yeah. And you may see something that the person who painted is like, oh, I didn't see that or recognize that but no yeah. it's this is how it's not like my interpretation of this in terms of being a film about religion and a film about capitalism and communism it's not like sure. that's right or wrong that's how yeah. i view it and yeah. and so i think that uh i think some people get caught up on like actually no that was actually not why they did that so yeah i don't yeah. care that's matter. irrelevant yeah yeah you get that a lot with the the upshot is that like a lot of times people will get things out of the project that were not intended. And I think, you know, but the director himself isn't like, oh, you're wrong. The director himself is like, oh, that is interesting. Yeah, that does fit. That does work. And I think Steven Lisberger would be like the first person in line to say like, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that makes sense. That sounds pretty good. Like there's a lot of crossfades in this movie from like the Tron grid and then it'll crossfade to the city lights of Los Angeles. Oh yeah. The, the ending of the film where yeah, they no. can, they connect the, 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 they do the kind of the Koyana Scotsy thing of the yeah. ending. Yeah. It's speed. Oh yeah. It's even kind of Koyana Scotsy ish music there. The Wendy Carlos sounds a little like Philip glass. There. Yeah. And that, that suddenly Los Angeles looks like the grid and it forces you to watch it and go like, wait a minute. We wait are, a minute. Are, are we like the programs and who are yeah. our users? Yeah, exactly. And, right. And so I, th again, the, the fact that they ended with that particular shot, a very slow, I mean, a fast motion, but a very kind of like deliberately long shot without, you know, the last shot could have been, 
oh, the greetings programs on the helicopter pad freeze frame like the end of chips and then roll credits. <laughs> thank you for getting that reference. Yeah. Thank God you got that reference. <laughs> but thank the users you got that reference. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but that the fact that they ended it on that, and of course in the beginning where they have Tron exploding and they, they go from the grids to L.A., yeah, yeah. Um, that they are making a deliberate connection between we are programs or are we users? And if we are programs, what are our users? Yeah. And that to me, that's why I think there's more here than just your pal, Paul Sullivan trying to dig deep into a Disney film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to watch Gus and turn that into a Jesus <laughs> parable. Uh, yeah. I think there were some deliberate things that were done here. And, yeah. um, and, and certainly the religious aspect, whether or not the capitalism versus communism, that's certainly, that was helped by the prism of me watching it in 1994 after the fall of the Soviet sure. Union. Sure. Oh yeah. But, and the colors. And yeah. All the and the color scheme, red, red versus blue. Yeah. Um, now those colors mean two very different things politically. I wonder what that would be like watching it from, from a 2020 point of view. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Red and blue. And sure. I, I don't want to go there, but maybe, so maybe someone can, and maybe someone can watch that as is this Democrats Republicans. Oh, geez, you just made it into a whole new movie for me. That's uh that's gonna be. I'm gonna have to give it a rewatch with that. I know. Watch it like that. You know, this is the beauty of watching stuff with different eyes and different perspectives yeah. and different age. I'm in my 40s now. I was a, yeah. I wasn't even a teenager when I first saw this film. So we yeah. see, we see things differently. Uh, if we want to go a little bit into the differences between the novel and the screenplay, I think that takes us up to somewhat near the end of the minute, right? Have we yeah, we yeah. covered a lot of ground in there. I'm out of gas for this minute here, so anything right, you got okay. here. I, right. I, 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 I'm talking about papers I wrote in college. <laughs> Check the, uh, it, in the novel, uh, Alan One says some different stuff like I was talking about before. He starts with, there you are, before we get cut off again. But then he says, I'm going to give you some new coding so you can gain access to the memory core of the master control. When you get there, search all the password code series, but then his voice gets lost to static and the transmission cuts out. And then Tron is like crushed. He's like to have come so close and yet not get complete information from Alan One means that the mission is a failure. He gets the disc back and he's super happy about that, but it still plays like an obstacle. Like he's like, even as he leaves, he doesn't want to let down Yori by telling her the truth of what happened in the chamber since hero worship is shining so bright in her eyes. And he doesn't want to tell Dumont that his sacrifice was for nothing, which it's a hugely different scene. Like Dumont opens the door for them to go out and that's the other thing is Dumont actually opens the door for them to go out. Okay. A little more. That, that is different right there. Yeah. I think we need to see him open the door, make it appear or something like that so that they can leave. And then we needed to see the, uh, the actual door get broken down by Sark. That would have been two things that would have made this scene a little bit better, but you know, Hey, they had an, a bonkers production schedule. I think they finished shooting in December and it needed to come out in July. I think the they did just fine. I think they did just fine. They did just fine. Exactly. And in the screenplay, uh, Alan One cuts out, same thing about searching all the passwords before he can finish. Uh, but the screenplay, it's more tied to the destruction of the door in uh, in Dumont's room. Like once the door to Dumont's room gets destroyed, Alan One cuts out. So that's sort of like one thing makes the other happen, but that doesn't really happen here. And also when Tron gets his disc back, there's a complex pattern on it, this kaleidoscopic, swirling, shifting liquid color on it, which is like it's 
it's uh it's it's different now but also the cool thing that i i know that they could not ever have done i guess but as tron comes out dumont stands up oh wow he like comes up out of the floor the rest of his body is like emerging from the neon steps he's got like a floor length robe with huge shoulder pads and wing-like supports for the fabric and he grabs tron by the shoulder and he says i've waited for this moment for many thousands of cycles it's time for the new order to begin. The users are waiting. And there's a there's a flash as the door to his chamber is finally broken by Sark. And then Sark comes in to see Dumont standing alone. Tron and Yuri are nowhere to be seen. They've just disappeared in the wind, you know, like uh, with the usual suspects. But Yeah, I'm glad they showed them escaping even though it was clunky because... Even though it was clunky, yeah. I... It's funny because... I am my first instinct was ah, I'm glad they didn't do that but I don't know that may have been a beautiful moment uh certainly given in the hands of a a fine actor like Barnard Hughes it could have had some yeah it could have been something uh profound I, I don't that know real yeah that real fatherly uh because uh, he's basically a, a priest in this, like a high priest or something, something like that. Like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great plan thought. Yeah, he is like, he is the, um, for the lack of a word, the, the caretaker of yeah. uh, of a suppressed religion. Yeah. And he yeah. said the only reason that he's still there is because the MCP uh, needs to go to, to um, look out. But I mean, he's, yeah. uh, uh, he's, it's really one. He was uh, just give me a little background. Barnard Hughes is a Tony Award-winning stage actor. That's right. And um, was in featured in uh, many many movies over the years. Yeah. Um, yeah. A, a film that he's in that I'm a big big fan of um, is uh, he has he has a he has a a, a memorable s- small role in uh, Midnight Cowboy, but he's also yeah. in the really politically incorrect and yet incredibly funny <laughs> where's papa which is uh carl reiner's film which he made in 1970 which is about uh george siegel trying to get a love life going and his dementing mother played by ruth gordon from uh she's maud and she's also she won the oscar for uh Rosemary's baby. I mean, she's she's amazing, and yeah. she's basically his senile mother, and um, constantly getting in the middle of his love life, and he's trying to find ways to have his mother die of natural causes so he doesn't oh, have to deal with his mom. And he plays. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, and this film. See, there's a film. There, uh, the 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 extended cut of it is the one to see because yeah. it the ending of the film is basically. Oh my God, they're going there, aren't they? And they originally had to cut the <laughs> oh, ending no. out that Carl Reiner wanted because they're like, "You can't put this in a movie." And he said, yeah. "Yes, I can." And there's a part early in the film where Barnard Hughes plays a, a uh, George Siegel is like a, a public defender, and he's yeah. running in late to defend a hippie who attacked a super conservative military colonel. Uh, at yeah. a at a because this came out in 1970, so at like a peace right. rally, and Barnard yeah. Hughes plays the colonel who's talking about how proud he is of all the the people he's killed in war and everything like that, yeah. and the young hippie is played by Carl Reiner's son Rob Reiner, 
Right, yeah. And the scene is hilarious. He is so funny in that. And Rob Reiner's really funny in that scene. And yeah, George Siegel, yeah. who is, when used correctly, George Siegel is terrific. Yeah. And this is a film that has that is a favorite. This is all you need to know about my mom. My mom loves this movie. Okay. <laughs> and um, and it's a film that, uh, oh boy, it doesn't pass through many political <laughs> correct filters of today. Yeah. And there's no way you could ever make it today. And it's probably good that you can't. But yeah. I'm glad that it does exist as yeah. a as a time capsule and. Um, and, uh, it's called, anyway, it's called Where's Papa and it's called Where's Papa because that's what Ruth Gordon keeps asking in her demented state. And the answer is, <laughs> the answer is always still dead. Still dead. I want to see that now. I didn't, I've never heard of that one. Before. Yeah. And, and, and you get to see it has the Tron connection with Barnard Hughes. You get to see, uh, a young Rob Reiner, a young Paul Servino, uh, a young oh. priest, a priest, Saturday Night Live, Garrett Morris, nice. Uh, and and but George Siegel and uh, Ruth Gordon are. I mean, Ruth Gordon's amazing all the time. But see yeah, the she whole, really is. See the extended one because I always got the sense that this came out like a year or maybe two years after the producers, which was Mel okay. Brooks's film. Yeah, and Mel yeah, Brooks yeah. and Carl Reiner are so close that Carl saw the producers and like. Okay, I got to do something tasteless now. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I like to think my that third, would be an amazing third. double feature. It would be the producers and Where's Papa. Well, I gotta have to. I gotta seek that out, and I'll seek out the uh, extended version because it's like see it and thank me later. It's very, very <laughs> funny. Like you talk about the uh, the ending being cut. There was a, a quote in the book Bossy Pants by Tina Fey where she said, "If you want to make a room full of people laugh." you have to push a man dressed up as an old lady down a flight of stairs. But if you want to make a group of comedians and comedy writers laugh, you have to push an actual old lady down a flight of stairs, right? Like they're, they're, they're you know, they're, the darkness in, uh, in comedians and comedic writers is a, a, a lot more pure, I think, than, than, uh, most, than most people. And I think that's where a lot of the comedy comes from, but that engine at its heart can be pretty dark. So I could see Rob Reiner going there and having the censors be like, okay, no, that, that you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. That's you where we do... draw the line. Yeah. Yeah. A, a film about a man desperately trying to make his mother die without making, without actually murdering her. Yeah. Fine. But you can't end it like that. You can't. Yeah. Go there. But... Well, that's cool. Well, I guess that takes us up to the end of minute 69 there. Yeah. It's uh, been absolutely fantastic talking to you. I'm really happy that you've got such a passion and such a, a depth of knowledge for this movie. And uh, I'm really looking forward to listening to some of that Bull Durham minute. Yeah, I love, I really appreciate that. I think finding, we're finding this in Bull Durham uh, doing the breakdown that there's things about that film that I find very profound and yeah. spiritual and loving that. I, I find it more interesting to break down a film like that as opposed to, um, you know, like uh, a pretentious art house film or an Almodovar sure. film or even a Fellini yeah. film. Not to not to to dock down Almodovar or Fellini, but it's like those films exist only to analyze them. Yeah, they have that. They have you have to analyze them to enjoy them. 
Yeah. Uh, and and they've made some very enjoyable movies. I thought the last Almodovar film with uh, the Pain and Glory with uh, Antonio Banderas, I thought was a really really good movie. Yeah. But you have to be watching it with you have to have your cinemaphile glasses on, yeah. otherwise you you get no enjoyment. A film like Tron or a film like Bull Durham, you can completely enjoy just like I'm just watching a romance, I'm just watching an adventure film, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Nothing, but yeah. if you want to dig, if it, it's fun to become a paleontologist with those films and dig a yeah. little deeper and yeah. suddenly find, oh, it's something else is going on here under the surface. And and to me, um, that's where the genre films where there's stuff happening beneath the surface, I think are more interesting than films that only exist for to yeah. be analyzed. No, I, I concur. When you can find those greater themes in movies that are on the surface, maybe just popcorn movies, then uh, then that's, I think, a more rewarding experience because then they work on a couple of levels, which I think is more of an accomplishment than uh, just making something simple or just making something super complex. And that's why I got an A at New York University. That's it. Okay, well, if you want to get in touch with, uh, oh, you want to tell people where people can find you if they want to hear more of you? Follow me on Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram, and there'll be all links to my podcast, Locked On MLB, uh, podcast uh, Bull Dermot, the other podcast which I do behind the scenes stuff on called Real Crime Profile for the Wondery Network, and any other film, television, or video writing stuff will all be on there and follow me, and I, uh, I tend to respond back. Nice. And if you want to get in touch with us, we're on tronologicallyspeaking.com or on Twitter. And uh, same, give us a, uh, an email at tronologicallyspeaking at gmail.com if you still use email. <laughs> and uh, join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking Tron Minute by Minute listeners page. Uh, special thanks to the Star Wars Minute that started it all. Go on over to moviesbyminutes.com and see if your favorite movie is there. It probably is, but if it isn't, Think about becoming a cinematic paleontologist yourself and uh, uh, come on and dig in and do one of your favorite movies. Uh, as well. it's, a very, it's a very inclusive community, I've found. Amen. All right. Do you want to do a little uh, end of line, Andre? You got it. All right. One, two, three. End of line. End of line. End of line. <laughs>